0: This is the word of the Lord. It's from Romans, chapter four, verses one through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Quote, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this blessing, then only for the circumcised, no, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of all circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised.
1: Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Great, great to be with you this morning. If you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 4. It's where we're going to be this morning, and it's good to be back in Romans. We were obviously celebrating all that God did through IMPACT last week, and now it's good to dive back into this series that we're walking through Romans, and we come to Romans chapter 4. So go ahead and find your place there. We'll begin in verse 1. If you need a Bible, uh, there should be one in the seat pocket in front of you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Feel free to take that with you. And Just as a reminder... Uh, We as a church are walking through this book together. We're reading this book on our own together. If you don't have a reading plan, that's available on the app, or there's a paper copy that you can kind of get caught up, and we're reading through this. Our life groups are walking through all the details of Romans together and pressing that out in community. And Then again, on, on Wednesday night, behind the message at 6.30 here on our campus, It's when we come and dive a little bit deeper down into the message from the weekend. So if you don't have a place to connect yet, we'd invite you to be a part of that behind the message uh, 630 on Wednesday nights. But right now we're going to continue on in this great, great chapter of Romans chapter 4. Now the the big theme that Paul is building and the Apostle Paul who wrote this great letter is elaborating is is this idea uh, that we as unrighteous men and women, the only way that we are justified or made right with God is by faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. Paul's building that great argument and that incredible biblical truth this morning. Now I want to kind of begin with this illustration many years ago and some of you may still use this tool. There was an evangelism tool called Evangelism Explosion and Evangelism Explosion kind of gave you some tools to be able to share the gospel. And one of those tools was a question. And the question went something like this. It says, suppose that you were to die tonight and stand before God. And he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? How would you respond to that question? And that was a tool in evangelism to kind of be a diagnostic tool to reveal where the heart is or how we understand our standing before God. Now Romans is dealing with specifically how we would answer that question. Romans is dealing with the question that every human being... Every human being that has ever drawn a breath will wrestle with in one way or another is how can a person be right with God? And Paul's been walking through this argument in Romans 1, 2, and 3, and he said, okay, the the immoral person, no matter how outwardly wicked you may be you're going to have to wrestle with that question at some point how can I be right with God the the moral person who has a standard that they believe they're living by that person's going to have to wrestle with some point how can I be made right with God the religious person Paul says The religious person who believes that they're following all the rules and keeping all the commandments and and doing everything right. They're going to have to answer the question, how can I be made right with God? Because your religion, your morality, no self-righteousness, nothing you bring to the table can make you right with a perfectly righteous holy God. Paul's making that case in the first three chapters of Romans. And he deals with the disaster that is our sin and our own unrighteousness. And we came to Romans 3, kind of the climax of his argument. You remember a few weeks ago, Romans 3, 9 and 10 says, For we have already charged, Paul says, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Just as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So Paul clearly establishes the problem. God's righteous. We're not. What are we going to do about it? Then he comes on in verse, or chapter 3, verse 23, and he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul's argument is this, there's a disaster of sin, we are left unrighteous, we are under the wrath of God because of our sin. At the same time, God in His grace has provided everything necessary for us to be right with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul's going to continue on and say, Okay, so then how is it appropriated, our sinful state, the provision of God, how are those two brought together? And Paul's argument is this, faith and faith alone. That's Paul's argument. He's going to continue to argue that. Even in chapter 4, where we're going to get to in just a few minutes, the the verse that chapter 4 seems to pivot on is verse 5, which says, However, to the one who does not work, or does not trust his rewards, who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Paul says God forgives on the basis of faith in Christ alone. Paul says God redeems based on faith in Christ alone. Paul reckons or God reconciles based on faith in Christ alone. God declares the what's this? The unrighteous, that's us, to be righteous. The righteousness of God. Credited to our account, Paul says, based on faith in Christ and faith alone. Wow. Just incredible biblical reality here because of any other message in the world, there will be nowhere but the gospel of Jesus Christ from Scripture that you'll hear such a message. So, the big idea, the big truth really, that kind of is the overarching idea or truth that we're chasing this morning is this that God justifies the ungodly on the basis of faith alone. That's the big truth we're chasing this morning. God justifies the ungodly. Who's that? (laughs) On the basis of faith and faith alone. Now, before we dive down into the text, here's the problem with that. (laughs) You say, there's a problem with that? Yeah, here's the problem with that. You ready? The problem is this. Naturally, left to ourselves, we prefer earning. We prefer merit. We prefer trusting our own accomplishments rather than trusting in the accomplishments of another. We're wired that way. Our sin has made it such that left to ourselves, we would prefer contributing to our salvation. We would prefer receiving credit. We like to receive credit, don't we? And by the way, I don't know if you know it or not, but some people sometimes take credit for things they never even did. Did you know that? At risk of my family being angry at me, I'm going to give you an illustration. We have a bunch of kids in our house, as you know, blessed to have five children. And our two youngest, I'm just going to use them as an illustration. Sometimes mom will send the two youngest daughters upstairs to go clean their room. They share a room. And the two youngest will go up and they'll be dispatched to clean their room. And we'll go up as parents and we'll kind of peek in the door and see what's happening. You know, kids' parents know everything. You know that, right? And we'll kind of peek in, and one of the daughters is in there working really hard to clean up her room and picking up the toys and putting stuff away. I'm not going to say which one that is. And the other one is not so excited about cleaning her room. She's probably combing Barbie's hair. She's testing her gymnastics on the bed. You know, she's doing anything but cleaning up her room. Now watch this. And when the room's all done, Mom and Dad will walk in, and and we'll say something like this. Girls... Did you clean your room? And both girls will run up and go, we sure did. (laughs) Mom and dad know better. Here's the point. Left to ourselves, we like taking credit. So when this idea of faith alone comes along, here's what it says to us. Tim Keller put it great. He says, belief that we are accepted by God by sheer grace is profoundly humbling. One of the offensive aspects of the gospel of Christ, and glorious at the same time, is you and I can do nothing to contribute to our justification. It is by faith alone. All we bring to the account, all we bring to our ledger, is sin and unrighteousness. That is humbling. Every system of the world, every moral teaching, every religious system of the world is built at its very core on some merit-based, performance-based system. All of them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unique and only says, yes, we're condemned, yes, we're unrighteous, but God, in His righteousness, has provided the solution through Jesus Christ. Our sin is so bad, we can do nothing about it. What's this? But His grace is so good, He provides everything necessary. That's the point. Judaism. Especially in the day of Paul, Judaism... The teachings of the rabbis had taken the Old Testament system and they had made it into a system of merit and of works. They, they had made it a system of performance and achievements and work-based achievements. So when Paul writes this letter to Rome, he knows the, the Jews that are there and maybe the Jewish new believers that are there and the temptation is going to be to waft back and forth from faith alone into faith plus works and all this other thing. So Paul writes to confront the Jewish system that had become merit-based. And he's going to take their favorite example of a person who earned salvation. In the Jewish system, they held out a man named Abraham and said, Okay, Abraham, look at him. If you think it's by faith alone, look at Abraham because he did it all right. And God honored Abraham because of his faithfulness. So what Paul's going to do with just a master stroke is Paul's going to take Abraham and he's going to use him as an example. He say, "Okay, you want to hold out Abraham as an example, someone who earned their salvation. Let's see what the Bible really says." Paul said. So you come to verse one, and Paul's writing this letter, and again he's writing it to Gentile believers, he's writing it to Jewish believers, and he knows the argument to this idea of faith alone is going to be, "What about Abraham?" So he deals with that. Verse one. He says, what shall we say then was gained? The word "gain" actually is the word discovered. What did, what did Abraham discover our forefather according to the flesh? Paul said, okay, if you want to build an argument on Abraham, let's look at the scriptures and see what was found out by Abraham. Now again, in the Jewish mindset, the rabbis had so elevated Abraham as the example of earning salvation. Let me give you a couple things that the rabbis said about Abraham during this day. There's a couple quotes. One is from a book called *The Jubilees*. A rabb- rabbinic teaching it said this: Abraham was perfect in all his dealings with the Lord, and gained favor by his righteousness throughout his life. So, it was such this elevated view of Abraham, they said, "Okay, you can hold on to that faith alone all you want, but we got this guy Abraham. Look at him." It said this, Therefore, O Lord, God of righteousness, this again is a rabbi, he says, Have you not appointed repentance for the righteous? For Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who did not sin against you. <laughs> what? I'm thinking, have you read the Old Testament? <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never sin? Are you reading the same Bible? A couple other statements. It says, Rabbis said of Abraham, they says, was not Abraham found faithful? Now listen to this. And it was reckoned unto him as righteousness, says the book of Maccabees. You says that sounds vaguely familiar. Listen to the subtle shift. and This is where we're going this morning. They begin to shift from faith alone that God reckons as righteousness. Watch this. To our faithfulness. In other words, if I could be faithful enough. If I can be faithful enough, then somehow, someway, God looks down in His mercy at my faithfulness and rewards my faithfulness. Listen, that's not the gospel. Because our our faithfulness can never be good enough to earn righteous standing before God. So this was the teaching. This was the thinking. And Paul knows that's going to sneak back in. And and some of these Jewish believers, they're going to be tempted to fall back into this. So Paul deals with it. He says, okay, let's look at Abraham, verse 2. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, by his deeds, by his earning, by his faithfulness, if he was justified by that, and again, the word justified is a biblical word to mean made right, declared to be right with God. So, if Abraham was made right by his works, then he's got something to boast about. Paul says, but not before God. No, it doesn't work that way. Paul's being very clear here. If we hold or trust our standing before God to any accomplishment or merit of our own, then we would be able to boast before God. In other words, if we, when we think about our standing before God, we begin to rehearse an account or a list or accomplishments, Paul is saying, you think you have something to boast about. Not before God. Doesn't work that way. I know that's that's how you've elevated Abraham, Paul is saying, but before God it doesn't work that way. The gospel of Jesus Christ excludes all boasting, Romans 3.27, and exalts the work of Jesus as all sufficient. That's the point. Why has God chosen to save on the basis of faith? Because we bring nothing to the table left to ourselves, and the point is not us. By the way, the point is not my faith or my faithfulness. The point is the Son, Jesus Christ, as exalting Him as the perfect and only provision for our salvation. That's it. Christ and Christ alone. So Paul goes on and he says that the gospel excludes boasting. He dealt with that back in Romans chapter 3. Then he goes on and he says, okay, So let's continue this argument a little bit, and he he does this, verse 3, he says, okay, I know what you say about Abraham, and I know what the rabbis teach, and I know what the cultural thinking of the day is, but I love this question, verse 3, what does the scripture say? (laughs) And by the way, human teaching left to itself can always lead you astray. There ought to be the regular question in your head, what does the Bible say about it? Paul says, what do the Scripture say? He goes back and he quotes from Genesis chapter 15, the story of Abraham. And he quotes and he says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time here to give you the background, but... Many of you know the story of Abraham. Paul's going back in time and he's going to the biblical text about Abraham. And you know Abraham, the the father of the Jewish nation, the father of the faith. Back in Genesis chapter 12, you you can look this up later on your own. God called a man named Abram. Abram, Abraham, same guy. God changes his name later. Calls him out from where he lives and says, you're going to leave your family. You're going to leave your home. You're going to leave all the familiar. And you're going to go to a land and I'll tell you about it later. And Abraham, you know, where am I going, Lord? Don't worry about it. Well, can I have some coordinates to put in my, you know, my iPhone? No, don't worry about it. No coordinates. Just go, and I'll tell you where you're going when you need to know. And Abraham did. He, he, he obeyed. And God makes this crazy promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, you, Abraham, from you, Abraham, I'm going to build a great nation. And from this nation, there's going to be more descendants than the stars in the heavens, you know, the sand on the seashore. I'm going to build this great nation. God's done it, the nation of Israel, the people of God. Problem was, as you know, if you know the story, when God told Abraham this promise, Abraham had a couple things against him. Number one, he was a little bit older in years, right? You have to be careful. He, he was 75, yeah, Never had kids. And evidently his wife had a physical challenge that kept her from bearing children. She couldn't have kids. So God makes this crazy promise that you, Abraham, who you're way beyond the years of childbearing, Sarah, your body's not even capable of bearing children. I'm going to make a great nation by you. (laughs) And it's as if God said, just trust me. Just trust me. So he was 75 when that happened, and years passed, and years passed, five years passed, ten years passed, twenty years passed, twenty-five years passed. No baby. No baby. And along the way, God kept reminding Abraham of his promise. And by the way, as we walk with God, one of the things we need to be happen in our lives on a regular basis is to be reminded of what God has said, reminded of his promises, reminded of what God has said to us from his word, so you come to Genesis 15, and this is where Paul quotes over in Romans 4. and in Genesis 15, it says, I'll just read from verse 5. And he, God, brought him, Abraham, outside and said, as if to remind him again of his promise, look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them, more than you can even count. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Promise is still valid, Abraham. God, I keep my promises. Watch this. And he, Abraham, believed. Same word for faith. Believed the Lord. Not just believed in the Lord. Believed the Lord. Who God was. What God had said. And he, the Lord God, counted it to him as righteousness. What does that mean? Abraham was believing the promise of God that from him was going to come a nation. From that nation, a savior, a messiah. Abraham was, in effect, believing what God had said in the promise of God and placing his faith not in himself, but in God and his promises. So, question begs then, and you can put everyone, you know, sometimes you have this question, and sometimes I think we miss this a little bit. We think, okay. I get in the New Testament, after Jesus, we place faith in Jesus, and that's how we're made right with God. But what about all those guys that went before us? Well, Paul says, listen, you can take Abraham as an example, and that's true for everyone else that came before Jesus. So here's the question. How was Abraham justified, made right with God? By faith alone. Faith alone. God doesn't have different ways of saving. It's been the same from the very beginning. Abraham was looking forward to the promise God had made, just like you and I look back to the Messiah who has come. Faith. What was the object of his faith? And we'll talk more about that in a minute. The object of his faith was what God had said, the promise of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. God's promise, God's revelation of himself had created this faith in Abraham and Abraham trusted. What did God do? The Bible says he reckoned, he counted the faith of Abraham as righteousness. What does that mean? The word Paul uses here in the New Testament and the Hebrew parallel in the Old Testament basically it's a banking term, all right? It's a banking term to it's the idea of it's the idea of crediting something that I did not have to my account. It's the idea of giving something to me that I didn't have before. It's, it's this idea. God treated Abraham, who had not been a righteous person, as though he were a righteous person and had been living perfectly righteous. And that was credited to his account. Let me give you a quick example. Ready? You say, it's not going to be another example about your kids, is it? Yep, sure is. Here you go. A twenty-year-old, and he's in college, and he's working, and he's busy, and we're trying to teach him to live on his own, and manage his money, and manage his budget, and all that, and the hard stuff that parents have to do. And sometimes he'll call and he'll say, "Mom, Dad, I got this big thing coming up." And when I look over in my account, Mom and Dad, all I got zero. I ain't got no money. Right? Any parent ever heard that? So we, we decide how we're going to handle this. You know, we can handle it in different ways, but because we love our son and. We go to our ECU app on our phone and we look at our account and we've got some, you know, some extra money there. And we look over to our son's account and he ain't got no money. (laughs) Bankrupt, if you will. And we make the decision that we're going to take what is in our account and we're going to impute it over to his account. We're going to credit money to his account that was not there before. That's exactly what God does based on faith. God reckons into your account, a righteousness that was not there before. Glorious! He reckons your account as righteous. He declares you to be righteous before Him, not of your own righteousness, His own righteousness. It is imputed righteousness. Douglas Moo, a theologian, said it this way the crediting of Abram or Abraham's faith as righteousness means. To account him a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. He didn't earn it. He didn't achieve it. He didn't work his way up to it. God credited it on the basis of faith alone. Glorious. Glorious. Now, just practically, do you know what would grieve Josh's mom and dad if Josh responded and said, and called back every 20 minutes and said, You sure you put that money in there? Now, he may do something like that, but are you sure that money's good? Are you sure that money counts? Are you sure? In other words, this uncertainty in the character of his parents, or what can I do to make it up? What can I do? Well, you can come wash my car or something. No, 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 we're not doing it for that. We're doing it because we love you. We're not doing it to earn something. We're doing it because we love you. Yours is to receive. Yours is to receive. What was the outcome of justification by faith in Abraham's life? We'll talk about this next week. We'll look at it in the rest of chapter 4. A life of faithful obedience that, was authentic, that authenticated the reality of saving faith. In other words, Abraham lives a faithful life. But in response and as an indication that he had been credited and made righteous by God. Never to earn righteousness. We'll look at that next week in Romans chapter 4. So here's some big ideas that we're going to draw out of these and try to make it practical for you this morning. Big idea number one is this. God has always saved sinners on the basis of faith alone. That's it. Throughout history, throughout the Bible, from Adam on down, God has saved sinners on the basis of faith alone. Abraham is an example of that. Paul goes on down and he gives David as an example of that. In verse 6, he says, just as David. And again, Paul's brilliant here and he's lifting up like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln of Judaism, right? Abraham and David as examples. He says, Abraham was justified by faith. What about David? Verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. Verse 7, quoting David, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. He goes on and says, Blessed is the one who God does not impute the guilt of his sin. In other words, David was made righteous through faith just like Abraham, just like you and me, based on faith and faith alone. Paul once the Jewish believers here to know that this idea of justification by faith alone is not a new teaching. It goes all the way back. And what's this? He also wants the Gentile believers to know you are part of a heritage of faith that goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to a man named Abraham. And that's why it goes in through verse 9 through 12. And we won't take time to read it all. But in verse 11 he says, The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe. Jew and Gentile alike. The playing field is level. The way we are saved is the same. Faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Paul says the way, the way God's saved and justified has always been through faith. Now, number two. Paul's going to examine this a little bit or expand this a little bit. And he's going to say, okay, so I've given you the example. I've given you Abraham. I've given you David as examples. But then he's going to broaden it to all of us, and he's going to draw some principles that apply to our life. Because I just want you to know, especially even growing up in the Bible Belt, I think it's very dangerous. It, even when we start talking about the idea of faith, it's very possible for you and I and me to hear that. We say something like this, all right, I got it. I know what faith is. I've heard it my whole life. I know what it's all about. But some of these verses here are going to challenge our understanding of faith because faith and faithfulness when it comes to justification are not the same thing. The desire for merits and works to creep in and us somehow think we earn any standing before God come in from all sides. So, so help us here, Paul. Verse 4. Now, to the one who works, and Paul's not against having a job, by the way. Just, he means earning. The one who has the mindset of earning, his wages are not counted as a gift, but are counted as, as his due. And Paul's going to give two different ideas here. He says, okay, there's this idea of earning, this idea of wage earning. He says, there's many things in life that are earned, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, working for a job and earning a wage is a good thing. Working hard and gaining a promotion is a good thing. Earning a starting spot on the basketball team is a good thing. Earning the trust of a future spouse is a good thing, right? Paul says, but justification, right standing before God is never earned. It's never a reward. It's not your due. It's a gift of grace. So he's going to juxtapose these two. And he says, okay, don't get the two confused. There's one who understands. It is by faith alone. But there's this kind that creeps in. If you understand or think that you have earned your righteousness in any way before God, it is not grace. You are claiming earning. Paul says it doesn't work that way. Verse 5. This is the verse we looked at before. This is we're going to camp out the remainder of our time. He says this. And to the one who does not work. Again, Paul's not saying anything about gainful employment here. Paul's talking about an attitude of how we're made righteous. He says, to the one who knows it is not of earning. The one who knows it is not based on my merits before God. The one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. And I said it before, if you write in your Bible and you're just reading along, you just skim I over this, don't miss this. Paul has spent three chapters declaring who to be ungodly. All of us. <laughs> and you come to verse 5 of Romans 4 and says, Oh, by the way, there is a God who justifies the ungodly. Praise be His name. who believes in God, who justifies the ungodly to this person, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul, what does this mean? Help us with this. Big idea number two. Faith is rooted in who God is and what God says. Now, this is big. You go back to this verse and Paul says... The one who does not work, but believes. Not just empty, sentimental belief, which, by the way, our culture loves. You just got to believe, man. You just got to have hope and trust. It's not empty, sentimental trust. It's faith in the character of God and the promises and the Word of God. In other words, the thing that matters is never the amount of our faith. It's always the object of our faith. Do you hear that? There's plenty of teachers out there on TBN and wherever you want to find them that are espousing something like this. If you can muster up enough faith and you can generate enough faith, then God is obligated to do something for you. That is dead wrong. It's never the amount of your faith. Watch this. It's the object of your faith. The Bible says, To him who believes God, who justifies the ungodly. God who keeps His promises. God whose word you can trust. Listen, there's all kinds of empty sentimental faith that we have. It it only matters the object of your faith. Yesterday, there were a lot of Kentucky fans who had faith that Kentucky was going to beat Tennessee, but the object of their faith was faulty. Right? There's a lot of people who got on a ship called the Titanic many years ago, and without a doubt, they said, this ship's going to get us from here to here. They had great faith. The object of their faith was faulty. It's been a few weeks in India, just, just a few weeks ago and spent some days there and almost every home you go in, the Hindu believers have this little statue and all these little prayer beads and all these pictures on the wall and every morning they get up and have a quiet time. They get up every morning, pray to this statue, pray to these ancestors, pray to all these gods. They have great faith, but their faith is in a faulty object. See, faith is rooted in who God is and what god says you don't muster up faith romans 10:17 we'll be there in just a few weeks well maybe a few months romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god our faith is generated by the revelation of god god speaks god reveals himself through his word and it generates and creates faith in us faith is a gift that's hugely important to understand the difference. Jesus said, listen, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move that mountain. Now, it wasn't a new, it wasn't a new mountain-moving ministry he was trying to start. That was not the point. The point was, it's not the amount of your faith, he says to his disciples. It's the object of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Big idea number three. A couple more, and we'll wrap up. Actually, we have several more. Y'all are listening really slow this morning. I don't know what's <laughs> happening here. Big idea number three, God counts faith as righteousness for the ungodly. What does that mean? We saw it earlier in the life of Abraham. Verse 5 again, he says, God justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. This word again means reckon. Your translation may say credit, it may say count. It's something given that we did not have before. And that faith, is that righteousness is is credited to our account. It's given to us based on the finished work of Jesus. And what we bring to the table in it is nothing more than faith. Now watch this. But you do understand that God is not rewarding our faith. What? Faith is not a meritorious act that you offer up before God. If that was the case, then God is rewarding something you did. God rewards what Christ did and faith is simply emptying ourselves and bringing nothing to the table and throwing ourselves completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. God saves on the basis of what Christ has done and what we bring to the table is faith. I don't know, that, that's tricky there. Mike, can you help me with that? Great statement by a man named William Newell. If we can put that quote up on the screen. This quote is one of the best quotes to help understand the difference here because it's huge. He says this, There was no honor or no merit in Abraham believing the, the, the faithful God who cannot lie. The honor was God's. When Abraham believed God, he did the one thing that a person can do without doing anything. God made the statement. God made the promise. God undertook to fulfill it. Go to the next screen. Abraham's faith was not an act but an attitude. His heart was turned completely away from himself to God and his promise. Faith was not a meritorious act by Abraham. He simply believed God would accomplish what he promised. Faith is an emptying of yourself. It's not a meritorious act. It is an emptying on the basis of who God is and what God has done. And God sees that, if you will. He reckons that dependence and declares you and I to be righteous based on the righteousness of the Son of God. You know why? So that the Son of God receives all the glory. All the glory. Big idea number four, and we'll finish with this. So faith is based on who God is, what God says. God counts faith as righteous for those who believe. And then number four, big idea number four is this. Faith repents of trusting in anything but Jesus alone. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Where do you get that from? Well, look at verse four and verse five again. So Paul's giving a juxtapose here between these two ideas. He says, verse four, now to the one who works, there's this earning mindset to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Then verse 5, and to the one who does not work, meaning the one who trusts, the one who is empty of bringing anything to the table in complete dependence on God, to the one who does not work, but believes, but believes, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. What does that mean? Here's what that means. When it comes to justification and being right with God, Jesus plus anything else is not saving faith. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul says, repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace, which means the faith that saves is also a faith that repents of self-effort, that repents of accomplishments, that repents of the idea that I think it's me, that repents of keeping a ledger, that repents of somehow thinking, if I just believe enough, that repents of any work of our own and totally empties ourselves and trusts in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. God justifies the ungodly based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. is that glorious? Paul's hammering this. Tim Keller said it this way, Saving faith is the end of one kind of trust and the beginning of another. Not trusting myself in any way, not trusting my spirituality in any way, not, tr- not trusting my sincerity in any way. I'm trusting in who God is and the finished work of Jesus and that alone. Tim Keller again says false understanding of saving faith will lead to insecurity. It's a lot of insecure Christians because somewhere, somehow, they think, and subtly, they've earned their standing before God, therefore they have to maintain that standing before God, therefore they can lose that standing before God, rather than recognizing God has declared me righteous based on faith in Jesus alone. Misunderstanding of faith will cause a lack of assurance, spiritual pride, thinking we've earned something, touchiness to criticism, and a devastation in light of any moral lapse. Because somehow, some way, we are secretly trusting in ourselves and not Christ and Christ alone. See that? Give you a quick illustration. We're going to pray, and we'll be finished. Mark chapter five. You don't have to turn there. Remember the story, there's a lady who's had had an issue of blood for years and years and years. And she went to every doctor. She tried to find every means she could to be cured. And finally she heard about the Messiah. She heard Jesus was there. And the Bible says she ran to Jesus. And in the middle of a crowd, and the team can come on up, by the way, and just begin to play. In the middle of a crowd... She knew if she could just get close enough to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she would be healed. And the reason she believed that is she knew the prophecies in the book of Malachi, that healing came from just touching the hem of his garment. She was trusting in what God had said. So this lady, in a very humbling state... And you can imagine with all those people around, somehow was probably down on the ground near his feet. And all she could muster was emptying herself completely. She brought nothing to the table. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. And that's what happened. And Jesus responded and said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in wholeness. You have been made whole. She brought nothing to the table. She had no merits to trust in. Her faith was in the person. Watch this. The promises and the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. God justifies the ungodly based on faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Faith is rooted in who God is and what God has said. God. Counts faith as righteousness for the ungodly. He declares something to be true that was not true. And faith repents of trusting in anything but Jesus and Jesus alone. So I want to ask you just to bow your head for a minute. Anthony's going to play and we're going to close this time in just a moment. But I want just just in a very, very really important moment for many of us in this room. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked at the beginning. Suppose you were to die tonight. and You were to stand before God. And he were to say, why would I let you into heaven? What would you say? See, based on Romans chapter 4, if your trust is in anything, merit, accomplishment, The amount of your faith? Anything but Jesus and Jesus alone. That's not saving faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. We are saved by faith in the person of Jesus and Jesus alone. If that's you here this morning. Just in really a holy moment, maybe the first time your eyes have been opened and you realize faith is not something I muster. It's not something I work up. It's a response to who God is and what God has said. Lord, yes, I trust you. Save me. Lord, I run from all my efforts. Lord, I run from all my accomplishments. I run from all the things that I try to generate. I'm trusting you alone. If that's you, right there there in your seat. Jesus, I need you. Save me. Save me. If you're here and you have questions about that, we're going to have people that would love to meet with you after the service. For the rest of us, let's just continue in a moment of worship, just savoring in the glory of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ.